Warm intros run the world. It's how humans translate trust with each other. If you want to break into a network, get someone from that network to vouch for you and getting in is much easier. With that said, I don't know how this has happened, but in 2023, getting a warm intro has never been harder. There are thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of people aiming to get into very exclusive networks. And the warm intro model isn't effective anymore. There's too much noise for the signal. So if you are a professional, if you're someone that wants to expand your network, what is someone to do? Well, you could spend your time cold emailing, sending LinkedIn emails, and hoping one of 100 people replies gets you a coffee meeting that leads nowhere. Or you could do something different. And today's episode is sponsored by SeedScout, which allows you to do something different. SeedScout is a platform that allows you to request introductions to other people on the network with a click of a button. No more sending long emails, no more sending doing all this research, right? It's simple. You send an intro request. If they want to meet you, they accept, and you're instantly introduced. SeedScout is an alternative way to expand your network that gives someone more context than a cold email, but it's faster to achieve than that warm introduction. So if you are a sick of spending hours, days, weeks, months, even years trying to break into new networks and you just want to try something new, I would check out seedscout.com, S-E-E-D, scout.com. Let's get into today's episode and thanks for listening. What is going on, everyone? Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Forward Thinking Founders. I am very grateful to have your attention, at least for the next 15 minutes of this episode. Forward Thinking Founders is a podcast where I interview pre-seed and seed stage founders about their products, what they want to build into the world, and why. We dive into how they spend their time, what's their vision, what's the origin of stories, all these things, so you can learn all about what's coming tomorrow. Because these companies haven't hit critical scale yet. Most of them haven't hit product market fit. These are just early stage companies, and the big question is, what can this be? And in this podcast, we bring that out. So with that, I really hope you enjoy your time listening to today's episode. And I've already done 200 plus, so if you like this one, listen to some of the other ones, like with Imadi Kund, Austin Allred, Leah Culver. We have great interviews, so check it out. Enjoy the repository, and for now, let's get into today's episode. Here we go. All right, how's it going, everyone? Welcome to another episode of Forward Thinking Founders. We talk to founders about their companies, their visions for the future, and how the two collide. Today, I'm very excited to be talking to Hunter Bjork, who's the founder of ESA. Welcome to the show. How's it going? Thanks for having me, Matt. I appreciate it. Yeah, excited to have you on. I always love the opportunity to interview local founders, so so this is going to be fun. So for people that haven't heard of your company, they're not familiar with you, what are you working on? What is ESA? Yeah, so ESA is a sustainable energy company. Our core focus is to solve the world's energy problem through the development and deployment of breakthrough sources of energy. All right. So walk us through a little bit of what, what that looks like. What type of energy can you walk us through a little bit of, of how it works and, and kind of what, uh, what a little bit behind the scenes there? Yeah, absolutely. So at the current moment, we are focused on the research and development of a new approach to fusion energy. Uh, in a nutshell, for those that aren't familiar with fusion, basically what the device does is it has the capacity to take two atoms and fuse them together to produce heat, which then we take to produce electricity. This would be the opposite of what you would see with traditional nuclear fission, where you're taking an atom and splitting that to produce that electricity. So it works in a similar fashion in terms of the output potential of energy, but without the safety hazards associated with regular nuclear energy. So we eliminate radiation, any kind of waste product, uh, risk of meltdown, anything like that. 
And so really that core technology, we see it being deployed in really two ways. And since our specific approach is based on a new type of fuel, it can be used to augment traditional infrastructure, such as coal fire or natural gas power plants. You could modify and retrofit those systems to effectively decarbonize existing infrastructure. The other way that we see it being deployed is through micro reactors. So being able to drop basically small size power plants on site for locations like data centers, sustainable communities, commercial real estate development projects, or anywhere that would need a large amount of power on site to lower costs, uh, bring that uh, community off the grid and essentially decarbonize uh, infrastructure. So what led you to want to build this company in this space? In other words, like what's the origin story here and, and why are you working on ESA? <laughs> yeah, it's a great question. So, you know, energy as a whole is the leading contributor to pollution on our planet. And I think that the general consensus now is really that we need to build a sustainable future, uh, not only for future generations, but just to meet power demand even currently. So when I started looking at this problem uh, about seven years ago now, uh, there was a few things that were really clear and it kind of begged the question of why aren't we already there? You know, solar has been around for almost a century. Uh, it's been around since the first electrical grid was installed. And so you would think that we would have already gotten to a sustainable future because it seems logical. But when you boil away all the conversation of maybe climate change or the ethical concerns, really what it comes down to is that renewable sources of energy in large are more expensive than fossil fuels. So legacy oil and gas or energy companies when they really break things down and they look at, well, this might be an ethical decision to make to transition to clean energy, and they look at the financial side of it, it really doesn't make logical sense. And so we have this huge bottleneck that is preventing us from transitioning quickly to a sustainable future. Now, the reason that you have that with renewables is really that renewables are intermittent. So solar, for example, produces energy when the sun is shining, uh, wind is producing energy when wind is blowing, and that's an intermittent source of energy. So you have a very low efficiency of when you're actually producing the energy, and then you're going to need to store that energy with, say, a battery, for example, uh, for use later when those sources are not available. So you have all of this inefficiency, and then you have to add costs on top of it. And by the time you get done with the entire package of looking at this renewable energy system, um, it's much more expensive than any fossil fuel alternative. So really what we're focused on here at ESA and really the logical solution is, well, we need a source of energy that is always on, it's scalable, and it can be placed uh, distributively uh, in a decentralized fashion. And so if you could do that, you can bridge that gap between where we are with cost and where the ethical decision would be, which we call a green premium. So in a nutshell, you know, that, that real thesis is kind of the driving uh, factor behind our initiative here at ESA, why we got involved. Um, and it's really about how can we find and build and develop sources of energy that would fit within that thesis to help accelerate a transition to sustainability. And as you're working on ESA, obviously this is, um, from my perspective, as kind of a more software guy, this isn't as simple as like pushing up some code to GitHub and, and selling it to customers. Like it's it's probably a little more involved based on the, the fact that it's hard tech and it's nuclear and things like this. Like, 
I'm curious, like, what do you spend your time on the day to day? Obviously, every day is going to be different. But if you have to break it down, how are you allocating your time on the most average day if, you, if you're able to answer? Yeah, absolutely. So my days are generally quite dynamic. I take a lot of meetings with external uh, partnerships, uh, different organizations, um, et cetera. So I do a lot of evangelism just to help people understand the problem and how we're approaching solving that problem. Um, a lot of it is strategy-based as well internally. You would think that I would spend a tremendous amount of time on the technical development as we are a deep tech company, but that actually is uh, quite a small subset of the percentage of my time that I spend on other things. Um, a lot of this is now not a technical challenge. It's more of a traditional engineering challenge. And we're kind of past the threshold where it's uh, an experiment. You know, this is proven technology that fundamentally works. And now it's about how do we package that in the most meaningful way for customers. So I talked to a lot of potential customers to get that feedback, to put that into the feedback loop of how do we develop that most meaningful MVP for people. Um, but then a lot of my time also goes into just the general bureaucracy that exists in the energy industry. Unfortunately, um, legacy infrastructure and companies in the space still have a a lack of education of what might be available to transition, or they may feel threatened because of that lack of education. And so there's a lot of vested interest in bureaucracy that causes resistance in terms of the transition to these new types of technologies. So I spend a lot of time uh, talking to government, talking to politicians, regulators, et cetera, about how can we move the needle in terms of preparation for all of this to take place in the, the greater world. Um, so again, very dynamic in my days, you know, I'll go from working on product development to working on geopolitics, to strategizing with the team, to having uh, meetings with external parties to create partnerships. So it, uh, it ranges day to day, um, but it keeps it interesting. There's one thing startups are just businesses in general. It's interesting. Um, if you were to kind of take everything you're doing on the day to day, put it in a little ball, do it, you know, for the next 10 years, 15 years, 20 years of your life, like, what does it look like on the other side of that? Or in other words, what's your vision for ESA and what direction are you rowing in every day as you're building this out? Yeah, so our greater vision is really to provide the world a means to energy independence. So having the ability to access affordable, distributed energy uh, that can be placed on site allows people to become energy independent as a user. And so that is a very different world than what we have today is that you're plugged into the grid, you're kind of um, locked into a certain way of life when it is related to energy. And so to be able to provide that energy freedom to our customers that also lowers their costs and it makes it a logical decision for them. I think in the broader world, um, really what that looks like is grid resiliency. So if there's a blackout somewhere, we can avoid it um, because we have these nodes across the network that are all producing energy and working together. Um, it also looks like energy, uh, clean energy specifically being less the cost than fossil fuels. So it actually is a logical transition not just a, an emotional or ethical decision. And to the point where I would love to see the world get to where pretty much all devices have some sort of onboard power either inside them or near them. Um, and to be able to allow true decentralization 
to happen on top of existing grid infrastructure to improve all of these uh, problems that stem from our greater energy problem. So it's really giving the power back to the people long-term. And in order to make the vision come to life, like you'll need some help, right? It takes a village to make a startup work and scale. So my question for you is how can the forward thinking founders community help you make this happen? Are you hiring? Are you raising capital? Are you looking for partners, you know, people to help you out? Like how, how can we assist with uh, with this effort? Yeah. So it's really just a couple of things um, in core initiatives that could be helpful. And I'll say for the record, we need all the help we can get, but it's people talking about us. So sharing what we have and what we're doing and how it can impact the world in a positive way. Um, we are raising capital. So that's also a big piece of this. It takes a tremendous amount of capital to improve the global energy market and like we envision it. Um, and then I think just for people listening to this is to maybe a takeaway is to think more long-term. You know, I think that it's really important to build companies that can promote human flourishing. And I think that the more that founders can maybe take away from other companies that are thinking very long-term and apply those same um, ideas to their own uh, thesis and really focus on improving our world, I think we'll build a better future for everybody. So those would be my key three things um, that I would say. I love that. And then to to finish us off, if someone wanted to learn more about Isa, about you, about what you're doing, um, how can they find you? Do you have a website? Do you have social media presence, an email address? Like how can someone connect and learn more about what you're doing? Yeah, absolutely. So you can visit us on the web. It's uh, www.isaindustries.com or you can find me on LinkedIn at Hunter Bjork or any of our team on LinkedIn. We're pretty um, active on that platform. So uh, or as well as any of our social medias, but those are the primary ways. Cool. Well, thank you so much for coming on to the podcast. I really appreciate it. I appreciate the time, Matt. Thank you.